You are now listening to Out of the Blank. 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 Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Michael Dolce. 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 Dolce Nirvana. That's what it is. <laughs> there you go. So tell me a little bit about yourself and what do you do professionally? Yeah. So I am a, uh, a writer, a podcaster, and a uh, comic book publisher. I publish graphic novels, um, mostly my stuff, um, but looking to do some new stuff in 2020 and 2021. Now, what types of, all right, so we're talking about writing and we're talking about comic publishing. Now, is that, is that where it started? Did your writing, did you start off as a kid writing for comic books or? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm so, so I, I actually have been writing and, and trying to draw, but I'm, I'm, I was an art student in college, so I, I always had the, uh, the thought of drawing uh, my own stuff, but uh, a good friend of mine, uh, you know, sat me down, had a good lesson. He said, are you trying to do an art project? Or are you trying to? make comics. And I said, I'm trying to make comics. He says, find another artist. And that was a good, that was, it was good advice. Cause, uh, my, my, my work was while certain times could be very good, it wasn't good enough. Um, so I feel, yeah, like, I, I, I feel like I could never narrow down hands or feet. That's like the one thing. Oh, I could Hands are, hands are tough. Uh, feet are tough. Consistency. It's just consistency. It's like every single, um, panel, I mean, has to be professional quality and that, and that becomes the hardest part I think about doing comics. Um, but yeah, no, so I've been doing it since 2001. I did a self-published book back then. Um, that was when I learned the lesson that I should probably reach out to other artists and work with them and, um, relaunched in 2006, uh, created a superhero character called the sire. It's about a superhero forced by his own character to fight evil. Um, it's kind of like having a spider sense, but instead of warning him danger, actually puts him in danger and, uh, successfully self-published that in 2006 and I've been doing comics ever since. I uh, did some stuff at Image Comics. Image is one of the bigger uh, known uh, comic book companies. If you've watched The Walking Dead, you've seen an Image Comics property. If you've seen Spawn, you've seen an Image Comics property. One of my uh, first comics I ever read was a Spawn comic. There you go. And then um, a Kiss so I, comic right afterwards. You know, it's funny. I actually got to do a artwork for a Kiss trading card set. Which Damn, cool. my uh, my dad's a Kiss. Uh, he's a drummer for a Kiss tribute band that's played in like Baltimore and like mm-hmm. all these like giant places. So I've always known my dad to be like you know Peter Chris. Yeah, and, um, he has one of the original books like where they use the ink. Um, on the first original one hundred copies was their actual blood. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, I remember that promotion actually. Yeah, so he's been all in radio and broadcasting, so he has a bunch of stories about that. But for writing about comic books, so where did this inspiration start? Like you said, you just decided. So it was like there. It was there a point because sixth sixth grade, I guess sixth grade. I, it's always it's all comics, man. Did um, you randomly just like see something that interests yeah. you so much? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Ah, um, hell yeah. If I was going to have four kids, they'd be named after the team. <laughs> First of all, advice, don't have four kids. I got two, and they're, they're little. And, and uh, yeah, don't have four kids. That's too many. Um, two, uh, yeah, no, when I was in fifth grade, it was Mutant Ninja Turtles. It was the car. I stumbled on the cartoon show on a Sunday morning. Uh, you know, my parents were sleeping in. I can't wait till I get to that day when my kids will allow me to sleep in. That'll be a great, that'll be a great day. And, um, you know, it was on and it was on and, you know, it was funny too, because, you know, we know the mutant Ninja Turtles as this, you know, huge like brand, 
Um, but they were on a Sunday morning, 7.30 in the morning time slot. I mean, it, this was not something that necessarily was going to be as big as it was. And I just, I loved the show. And then it took off. And then my friends and I, uh, my friends were already making like Ghostbusters comics, you know, just folding pieces of paper together and drawing and, 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 and creating new adventures. And then, uh, and then we switched over to turtles and I joined in and, and that was it. And, um, I just celebrated and I hate, I hate dating myself, but I just celebrated my 40th birthday. And one of my friends who I still have, I mean, I've known him since second grade, just got me a copy of the Spider-Man comic that he handed to me. So fifth grade was Mutant Ninja Turtles. Sixth grade was Spider-Man. And it was this one comic that he gave me uh, to read. And he actually just gave it to me as a, as a birthday gift, which, which was an awesome birthday gift. And I just fell in love, man. It's, it's uh, telling stories through pictures. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know. Nothing, there's nothing better. There's nothing more fun. There's nothing more fulfilling um, or satisfying in life, really. I always like hearing the inspiration behind people, uh, at least going into comics. I know a couple of people have podcasted with their own comic book shops. Um, That's cool. Mostly just the culture that's surrounded by it, too, because at one point way back in the day, and now you're seeing it change now, comic books were seen as nerdy or geeky. Oh, yeah. You know, you got the classic stereotypical person uh, with black rim glasses and pocket protector. Now you're seeing everybody that loves superheroes nowadays. Because Dude, how big- I, I tell my wife all the time, I said, if I was 10 years younger and getting into the business now, um, I mean, I, I, I don't even know if I would have even met my wife because when I started out and, and this is back in like Oh six. Um, I mean, you, everything you just described is exactly who'd be at a comic book convention. Um, if you had a girl at a comic book convention, it was either a girlfriend that was being dragged by her boyfriend who happened to be into all this stuff. Um, or it just, you know, you, you just wouldn't see, you just see, you, you know, fat Spider-Man was the cosplay. That's who you saw. You saw fat Spider-Man everywhere. That was, that was like the big thing. And now we've seen it transform and it's crazy, dude. It's crazy because you can see, um, you know, it's not just, you know, women coming with their significant others. Um, but it's, I I mean, just from a physical standpoint, you'd be like, I don't understand like this, this doesn't make sense. Like this is something, um, that you wouldn't typically see, but you see packs of, of different women now and they're all fans. They're actually coming. Some of them are actually even dragging their boyfriends to come to these shows now. It's crazy. Do you think that's just because of the way acting and movies are being directed now though? Because I feel like with some of the casting, when it comes to like Christian Bale as Batman, um, mm-hmm. you know, whoever, uh, playing Spider-Man now, I'm not a fan of fucking Tom Holland. People say I look like him and a God that, that kid. Uh, similarities. There's uh, um, but like, I definitely think that like, you know, when you pick a famous actor or something or you pick um, somebody to play a certain role. Oh, yeah. Let me see if that'll change your mind. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah I do look like a little bit. Yeah. 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 Uh, but uh, but I think it's when it comes. Use to, it, man. Use it to your advantage. I, I can't <laughs> stand that, man. Uh, Tobey Maguire will always be my Spider-Man. But see, that's the okay. concept, though. So if you look at Tobey Maguire, he's not a bad looking dude, but he's not a good looking dude. He's not like, you know, 10, 10, you know, model style material. Sure. Tom Holland on the end is a little bit of model material when it comes to it looks like he could play an Abercrombie and Finch. Sure. But I think when it comes to the popularity when it comes to uh, how comic books and people are getting so into it now, it's not seen as nerdy anymore. It's because now they're, they're, they're getting actors that are playing in multiple roles. Now you got mm-hmm. Christian Bale that's playing in the machinist. You got him playing in all these different types of movies where people are like, Holy shit. Like that's a good looking Batman compared to the, maybe the older, you know, my parents version. Sure. And 
I think that creates more people be like, well, I'm going to, you know, get to get into comics and dress up like them. It's like, I'm not really Batman, but I'm Christian Bale. You know what? I, I, there's, there's probably something to what you're saying, but I got to be honest. The big thing that blew up was that was cosplay. Cosplay has blown up the whole industry because now you also have, you also have a generation of people, uh, you know, and, and this is, I'm, I'm on that cusp that can still remember like a, a rotary phone. And I grew up with a cell phone at the same time. Uh, and like, you know, I remember dial up internet and I remember high speed internet and, you know, kind of came of age during this technology boom. Uh, you, you have a generation of people that, you know, a don't want to get rid of their childhood. They want their childhood to come with them. There's nothing wrong with that. Just, you know, point of fact, um, the costumes that these people make and they go to shows. I mean, that's the thing that's, you know, we used to see people, again, we see people in costume. Um, it would be a pre-bought Halloween costume or it would be, you know, like I said, just like a homemade, but it would, it would, it would just be like whatever. Now you're seeing like supermodels. Um, they make a living uh, thanks to social media going to these shows and social media plays a role in it too, because I think people are striving for um, more social interaction um, they, they, you know, they're, they're, they interact on their phones now, but just like a rock concert, just concerts are how musicians make money. Comic cons are how, um, you know, people interact with people who are, who are fans. Um, and that's how, and that's how it's spread. I think it's this, I, I just think it's the phone generation, um, that, that loves this stuff. They put this stuff out there and they want to meet other people that love this stuff too. Um, so going to a movie now is like going to a movie is, is a social interaction. You know, it's something that they don't get to see, they don't get to do and they get to experience this with everybody. Um, cause if you really ask people like, Oh, what do you, are you a fan of Captain America or Iron Man? Um, they'll sit there and tell you, Oh, I love it. Oh, I love Iron Man's my, Oh, I love Iron Man. It's great. You know? And then, but if you actually really talk comics with them, they don't know the comics. They just know Iron Man. They know the movies and well, that's, that's it. That sparks like kind of a bit of a turf war between some of the older comic fans and a lot of the newer comic fans. Because a lot of the see where I look at new movies like you know Disney now owning Marvel and trying to mm-hmm. own all these other corporations and stuff, they're doing the movies really fucking well. Yeah, yeah. Um, when it comes to Avengers, uh, the amount of casting that they have to go in that you're seeing things like uh, it doesn't matter. Chris Evans, um, whatever you want to say, Captain America, he's always going to be fucking Human Torch to me because that's the first thing I've ever <laughs> seen him as. So like. When it comes to the amount of casting, the amount of money, the amount of production that gets put into the films, it creates new comic book fans and new superhero fans. Now, the that's problem- what it do- well, wait, wait, hang on, it, that's what it does. It creates new superhero fans. Yeah, uh, we are not seeing, and you can talk to any retailer. Um, they they do not see the translation, and they never have. I it's think with a certain. Thing. With a certain couple few, though, because for me, I decided to look back at the older Avengers and X-Men comics because of the movies, mm-hmm. mostly because I grew up in an age where and, and, and kind of an area where that wasn't really influenced into my life. Comic books weren't. I remember I bought my first comic book from a gas station. It was all Japanese. It was like 500 pages. You couldn't read a single word in it. And you go from one page to the next page, someone gets their head cut off. I'm like, I missed something. <laughs> I actually bought my first comics at stationery stores. Um, and, and that's something I miss. I miss actually um, the fact that to buy actual comic books, you, you have graphic novels in Barnes and Noble. And that's a great thing. I, who knows how long Barnes and Noble are going to be around. Um, There's still Barnes and Noble. There are. It's, it's the only bookstore around. Um, the only place I've ever found with a really nice bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Starbucks. You can always go. Star- Starbucks is key, man. Uh, I do a lot of. I, I work in Starbucks. Like, <laughs> I say I work in Starbucks. I don't work for Starbucks, but I work in Starbucks all the time. That is that is the best uh, remote office you can get. 
when you say work in Starbucks, you're talking about writing down on a laptop, right? Or oh yeah, yeah. I bring my laptop out there. I never understood that. My cousin does it all the time. I'm like, you go to a coffee shop, just get coffee and get out. But no, it's the no, I, will, I will literally plant myself and I will stalk people who have the tables next to the power outlets. It's uh, it's 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 a whole, and and the funny thing is. I've actually made friends with people who who also work at a Starbucks. So I have a home studio and I have a home office. I do a podcast also, which I mentioned, and I have everything at home. Um, however, I also have little kids, and there is no uh, doing work while the little kids are home. So a lot of times it's it's you know up, and I got to get out of the out of the out of the office. There is no break from being a dad. I get that. It's definitely. I know a lot of comedians that talk about um, how they go to a coffee shop or something to sit and try and write material based on like just observing people. Oh, and making- sure joke lights out of that do you ever just get random kind of inspirations while you're outside for some superheroes or any type of comic book writing you know, that you do it's funny like uh yard work <laughs> yard work yard work is an amazing uh uh time where i can sit and think where i'm mowing the lawn there's nothing else to do but think airplanes uh when i'm traveling to comic cons i get so much work done and, and it's just so focused because you're locked in there's nothing else you can do so you're just alone with your thoughts uh, bike rides. Uh, that's another one where, you know, I'm just out there experiencing nature and, uh, you get to a point where you can really sit down and think the work day is more about executing these, these ideas and executing these things. Uh, it tends to be a little more crazy. Um, I also run a web design company, so I'm doing a lot of WordPress web development. And, and so it's a lot of like, okay, today I got to finish this website tomorrow. I got to write this script, you know, the next day, so I got to get my podcast done and, and social media. So it's the work day tends to be more, um, you know, execution of said ideas. Uh, whereas you really need to be in a zone. I think you need to be, I, and, and I just never, I never realized again, kind of bring back the kids angle. I never realized how much free time I really had, uh, to do all this stuff, um, until I had kids and it's like, wow, you know, I didn't realize where I took for granted in a way. Uh, and now, you know, now it's like, okay, I understand. I got to get out of my bike for an hour or else I'm not going to have an idea. <laughs> do you, um, what's your process for writing comics? Like, how do you start off? Cause usually like, like if I was going to think of something like a superhero, I'd want to figure out like who is it a guy or a girl? Is it, you know, is he wearing this costume? It's always or that an costume? idea. No, it's always, I, and everything I come up with is always just a thought of, so I have a, a book called, uh, the undone, uh, no relation to the Amazon property. Unfortunately, uh, in fact, I'm going to rename the, the, the book. Uh, to the time trader. And it's about a guy who can rewind time whenever he wants to um, up to 24 hours in the past. And he uses this power to go cash in at the stock market until he discovers that the stock market is run by an Illuminati of people just like him. Um, That honed elevator pitch started with the idea of be really cool if I get a do over, right? Like, wouldn't it be awesome if you had the power to like walk in? And that's just a, it was just a random thought. I literally was out there with, I was outside, I was having, you know, lunch with a buddy of mine and I was thinking about something I effed up somewhere, and I can't remember. I'm like, man, it wouldn't be great if I could do that appointment all over again, or or couldn't or I could have had that job interview all over again, or I could have had this all over again, or even, you know, you know, oh man, I said I said this to a girl, and I should have said that to a girl. And then I was like, that's kind of cool. And then you start building a character around that, and you start, and then you go, okay, well, what's this application? You know, and then this is my process. What's the application of the power? And then I go, okay, what's the limitation of the power? Because if I could just rewind time anytime, anytime I wanted to. 
well, where's the conflict? You know, where's the story? That's how um, I usually do my would you rathers. Like if you're going to choose teleportation, you can only teleport like once a month or teleport once or you can teleport somewhere, but then can't teleport back. Right. You know, same thing with uh, Mel Gibson uh, in that one movie where he's able to read women's thoughts and it's too much for him to handle. Like if you could read somebody's thoughts, but never be able to kind of filter it out. So you can't just choose when to do it. Do you watch Black Mirror on Netflix? Every time I say something in a podcast, someone says, have you watched Black Mirror? And I've never seen it. You got to see. I, I haven't finished the whole thing, but I just watched uh, one of the episodes. And um, it's it's all about uh, blocking people on social media, but in real life. Like it, it's something you can you can actually block people in real life. Isolate. Yeah. So so it's, it's, it's kind of similar to that where, you know, you have this uh, – there's just – there's unforeseen consequences and limitations and things like that. But, but that's what makes good stories is, is having that, that like, Oh crap. Like, you know, kind of, kind of moments when you, when you, uh, when you get into it. What, what would you say you're like, if you had to choose a superpower, what would you choose? Uh, I was always a flight guy. I always wanted to fly. Um, what happened that, to I was always the neat, like I always wanted to climb mountains and like, I love, I love hiking and I love getting to the top so I can see everything and, and flight would be the, flight would be it but i guess theoretically you could go the magneto route and have magnetism because then you could fly and you could do all kinds of cool things see i always wanted to have wolverine's ability just to be like invincible basically mm. but see this, this is where if you start looking at that and you actually read comic books and stuff you start to be like well there's multiple ways you can get like okay wolverine can't die but isn't it if he gets his head ripped off doesn't he die or maybe if the, like there was an episode or a comic um where the incredible hulk ripped all the adamantium off wolverine's bones it's like well shit like i'm trying to think what superhero would be awesome i'd like to live forever oh no i don't because this could happen and this could happen yeah it's like, starts to go you, like you know what they you can kill wolverine by drowning him you can't kill. suppose this was a this was a whole debate um and and i think they came to the consensus i don't know who they are uh i think the the marvel comic creators said you could kill him by drowning him because he can't breathe he would have he would die but if, but theoretically speaking if you ripped his head off he'd grow another one well, see the see the weird thing I started kind of like picking up, and I hate to reference this show, but the Big Bang Theory. I don't, I'm not a fan of the show, so don't sit there and be like, "Is that your nerd? That, that's your nerd historians?" No, that's okay. It's, they had an episode. With I, Stan I don't Lee. judge. I'm not an I'm not a nerd judger. <laughs> <laughs> they had an episode with Stan Lee on there where he was talking about the inspiration behind his comic books or whatever, and he brought up the thing about the Incredible Hulk about having this uh, kind of guy that takes a lot of crap, you know, kind of mm -hmm. passive, but has this dark has this other side to him that is strong and independent. This green monster that we all have inside of us, mm -hmm. and I started looking at that with a lot of the comic books, especially with the Marvel series. They're all people that um, develop a power or are born with the power mm -hmm. um in more of a positive light like for kids manner then you look at dc dc seems like every hero in that area has been afflicted by something that is severely tragic such as rubber man or such as batman losing his parents mm -hmm. and it seems like marvel and dc that like i know a lot of people bring up why aren't they just working together to create awesome movies and it's like yeah. there, there is a business yeah, there is business rivalry there, but when it comes down to the superhero aspect of things, they do their superheroes in two completely different ways. It seems like more of when you go and watch a DC film, such as mm -hmm. The Dark Knight, one of my all-time favorites, way darker than if you're watching Avengers. There's oh, yeah. more of a less family aspect to it, more like if your kids are teenagers, take them to this movie, not if they're five years old. 
Well, well, Marvel, I mean, it goes to the way that their companies have always been structured, though, too. I mean, DC was always, before Marvel was owned by, by Disney, they were their own separate entity. Um, DC was owned by time, has been owned by Warner Brothers for, I mean, 40, 50, I mean, years. I don't even, probably even more than that. Um, there's no centralized storytelling to, um, to what DC does. And, and they've tried to mimic them. They, they, they tried to. I actually I use that in the uh, in the past tense because they're not trying anymore. Uh, they tried to mimic the Marvel model, but the Marvel model, it, you know, when Marvel was set up in the '60s and the '70s, it literally was a bullpen. It was a bullpen of people that all worked together, um, and it was a cohesive unit. And there was a cohesive, um, you know, story centralization to that. And what Kevin Feige, who runs Marvel Studios, is like, I want to do the 70s Marvel bullpen or the 80s Marvel bullpen approach, and I want to bring that to movies, which had never been done before. And so you had one voice um, kind of steering the ship. And DC um, DC has that in the comics now, and they've had that for the past 10 years, and they're actually more fan-friendly when it comes to the comics. But the movies is Warner Brothers, and and it's a bunch of studio executives. And... Um, I do screenwriting as well, too, and I have a, a good friend of mine who we, we had co-created a, a book at Image Comics, and um, and he tells me he's a director out in in in, uh, in Hollywood, and he um, um, he's gotten to direct like The Rock and Tom Cruise and all these really you know big guys, and it's great. And he but he tells me these horror stories of studio executives. They really are as bad as 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 you um, as you as you heard or you picture. And he says, yeah, I've been in pitch meetings, and they'll just you know it'll be a room full of people that have no creative you know bone in their body being like, I like your idea. Could it be completely something different than what you're saying? You know? And, yeah, and that's because, well, they have a template. That's the problem now. Like um, I had some, a couple of film critics actually talk to me about this. They said that the problem with movies that are getting pumped up now, the reason why it is so popular is because it sells tickets. They work off a template, like a superhero movie obviously works off a template. Sure. Obviously most storylines run off a template. They got a plot, a rising action of climax, mm -hmm. whatever. But it seems like they have something that works. It's like fucking Call of Duty. Like Call of Duty is the same thing, yep. just with extra add-on stuff. Like literally, yep. they pump out a whole new game every single year, and that's what superhero movies are starting to become now. Where now they're just going to keep pumping out things as long as they keep throwing out actors it's, and all these other things. Well, here's the thing: it's the thing that's make, it's the only thing making money right now, and that's you know that's the harsh reality. I think that's why Martin Scorsese was so pissed recently. Is he, you know he's talking about how it's it's damaging true artwork but it's it, it's not i mean it's just the only thing that's selling look at the bottom line man all this stuff is it, it's and and you know what i never really thought about it till i rent till i own my own business um if you're at you know because I, I mean i still send stuff out to publishers i still want to connect with their audiences through my work uh and i'll get i'll get upset like oh don't they see that you know how good this thing is or, or whatever but they're they're investing a certain amount of time and money and energy and they're expecting to make money off their investment and so if you're going to come to me and say, I have a, a $70 million movie idea, it's totally original, has no fan base, it has ne next to nothing, or I'm going to give you a $150 million superhero blockbuster based off a character that's been around for 30, 40, 60, 80 years that has a built-in audience that's going to come and see your movie, the studio executive is thinking, great, I'll spend $150 and i will make $300, you know, or in some cases I'll make a billion. Like look at Joker. Joker made a billion dollars. You know, and it's just because it's the name Joker. That's it. Uh, they're going to invest in that. They're not going to invest in like this, this, you know, lower tiered amount of money and 70 million might sound like a lot, but it's actually like a mid, mid range money. It's like, well, I'll invest 70 and you could make 20 at the box office. And now I've lost $50 million, you know, so that, that's, 
it's what's selling and that's what's always going to drive what's what, what we see out there now obviously there's going to be two sides to you when it comes to this answer but as the business side saying it's what makes money but as a fan do you see that as a kind of disservice to the movie a little bit too as well i see too many movies get redone doing the same thing like green lantern or something like that where it gets kind of torn from its original aspect or rushed too fast that ends up not being as good i mean my all-time favorite dc yeah. superhero is green lantern okay okay um and shazam is kind of my favorite as well shazam was good that was a fun movie i liked the i liked the comic book but then they made a movie about it i was like all right thank you like that was yeah. cool to see but um Green Lantern, like I love that movie, even though Ryan Reynolds even shits on it. I think <laughs> it was a good movie because there wasn't one for it. There, that was the only Green Lantern movie. I'm a fan of the Justice League, that Green Lantern, but I like that whole concept behind it. Even though people want to shit that, oh, he just has a ring that gives him his power. Well, yeah, you have money just, that gives you your power. So. Yeah, it's solid. There's nothing wrong with Green Lantern as a character, and that movie. The only thing that's so. Um, uh, one of the, one of my guests on my podcast is, is, is a, a friend and, and I, I do some work with them. Uh, Jeff Gomez, uh, runs a transmedia company called Starlight Runner. And, um, they, they worked with like James Cameron with Avatar. They build story worlds. They really break down story. Like you, you have no idea how much goes into a movie, uh, before, from what you actually see. And it's amazing that there are some movies that are just so terrible and you just sit there and go, how did this even materialize? Cause it was so bad, but, but there is a lot of, behind the scenes energy that goes into it that you just wouldn't even imagine uh green lantern the trouble with green lantern was they wrote two movies into one movie which is essentially what you know ended up happening you know the first movie needs to just be simple here's your good guy here's his strengths here's his weaknesses here's a bad guy that's going to exploit his weaknesses good guy needs to overcome bad guy you need to like good guy good guy succeeds by the end give us something that's intriguing at the end that's going to make us want to watch the next movie. The next movie was, you know, the the the, the core and the Green Lantern core and Sinestro yeah, and all that other stuff. They fit too much stuff into one movie and then tried that's, to rush it real fast. They didn't have yep. time to quickly clarify on everything. Yeah, that's what happened. I mean, that and that was just point blank what happened. I mean, look at, look at a movie like Deadpool, you know? Deadpool is a simple movie. It's a, it's a very simple movie. and that's, It's filled with a lot of fourth wall breaks, but I also think its cast does a little bit more of the thing. It seems like it, without Ryan Reynolds, if they would have scheduled someone oh. else to be Deadpool, that movie would have done terribly. Yeah, it, there's so many combinations that can make or break a film. It's, it's, I mean, look at, look at the prequels of Star Wars, you know, people's gripes. And, I, and, and my co-host is a huge prequels fan. Yeah, same here. And he gets, and he gets, uh, he gets shit from me and, and from a lot of other people for – um, for, for being a big fan of it. Um, but I always tell him, I said, look, the story is great. The execution's very poor and the casting choices, you McGregor, amazing, amazing yep. Obi-Wan Kenobi, but look at the dialogue he's working with. George Lucas is, is known as not a guy who cares about dialogue. He doesn't care about, he cares about how the movie looks. Um, Hayden Christensen, if they, I mean, they were talking about Ryan, uh, Philippe, Philippe being, uh, Anakin Skywalker. I think he would have done justice to the role. Hayden Christensen, I think, was a little, you know, flat sounding and cardboard sounding, and it's just it's just as simple as cast one guy over another guy, and and the whole thing could ch could have changed. Yeah, when you talk about so many things that go into a movie that a lot of people don't realize through, like I've taken film classes in school, and I've talked to so many people that do film, like either directing or reviewing on films, you start to notice a bunch of stuff. I've directed my own like couple short funny films for cool. school or something, but it's nothing big. We just did scenes from like a movie or something. But yeah. It was weird to see because what really expanded my knowledge on the types of camera angles and these types of things that really can include into a scene. 
And when you're done about two hours of full on filming, you only get down to about like 10 minutes of actual yeah. footage. You're like, fuck. Like, yeah. I remember so many times I would sit there editing and trying, me being the director with all my buddies, it was so hard to do scenes like from Step Brothers or something where everyone's like, what do I say? What do I say? I'm like, oh my, can we just all, and it was like, I felt so controlling trying to do it. But when I see a film now, I never say, oh, that's a terrible film. I never say that's a truly like super amazing film. Like there was a lot of work put into that. I look at the acting. I look at the camera effects. I look at the money spending. Sure. I look at the directing, first of all, because all these little things, there can be shitty ones. There can be – I've seen some independent films that get into the box office fucking incredible angles though and incredible like one incredible actor and a couple side actors but it was such an it was such a great film it was better than something i've seen that was been advertised all over the television i think it's all goes hand in hand with the type of directing style and marketing that really kind of makes or breaks a film yeah and i mean what do, i mean what do you think about marketing today though because marketing that's something that my co-host and i we, we go back about it all the time um a lot of marketing is now geared toward politics and it's there to rally a side to go see it. Um, and I'm not saying good or bad on either side. I'm not talking the actual politics of it. But we've noticed, you know, yeah. one of my big complaints is uh, there was a movie with Natalie Portman last year. I forget, I forget what it was. Uh, Annihilation, I think it was called, or or something like that. And it was it was an original idea, and and it was supposedly got great reviews. Um, but they didn't they didn't really market it toward any kind of like um, you know social media you know, topic or whatever. And, and it, and it just kind of floundered. Um, and then meanwhile, there was a lot of, you know, people kind of, kind of wonder, you know, Captain Marvel made like a billion dollars and, and, and there's a lot of people going like, I don't understand how the, like the movie was good. I, and I, I enjoyed the movie, but how did that make a billion dollars? And then you kind of see that there's this whole marketing campaign, you know, this grassroots marketing campaign that fired people up because she was the first Marvel female lead. You know, and then it drove people. So yeah, no one even brought up. Well, I guess not Marvel, but for DC, like it felt like Megan Fox just slipped under the radar with Wonder Woman. Like I had to go watch that movie on my own. I didn't even see that pop into theaters for very long. You know, back in the day, like you want to talk about marketing on this part. Back in the day, at least when I was a kid, mm -hmm. and when uh, the Incredible Hulk was in theaters. I would go after the movie, me and my dad went to 7-Eleven and I got a fucking special 7-Eleven Slurpee cup with sure. the Incredible Hulk on it when he fought the abomination. Okay. We, me and him were talking about this movie on the whole ride back home. He was like, I just paid six bucks for you to get this cup with a special straw. I'm like, it's awesome. Like it's abomination. Yeah. Like, you know, that was that was great marketing that way. Yeah. But you're seeing things now where it's like you see a certain celebrity that's a trend certain right. celebrity like tom holland or some type of jason momoa all you got to do is put them in a suit bam people are already going to your movies then just capitalizing on like you know cracking a joke or something that's a reference towards another film inside mm -hmm. of their advertisement or something i mean half the times advertisement you don't even really see them for any of the big corporations anymore they just get played on the tv like coming soon near you or something i'm like when it comes to marketing, it feels like it's all trying to get everyone to choose a side because I think that's what they think it is. I mean, comic books and superheroes, all these types of things, DC or Marvel, mm -hmm. biggest turf war. But that's yeah. what creates money like you were talking about. It's yeah. businesses going at each other. If they decided to actually combine their thing in together, people wouldn't know what to do. It'll happen. I guarantee it'll happen because at some point I, – I, look, I give credit to Kevin Feige who runs Marvel Studios because he has a plan. He has a vision. I mean, you know, just the fact that Avengers got pulled off, um, 
and then to have something like Infinity War and Endgame happen, which was which was you know amazing. Uh, but at some point, you know, you you can't. I mean, how many new Spider-Man movies can you have before people kind of get tired of it? Uh, you're going to have already to come been up with three. Something. I mean, there's already been three, and one of them was the worst. Well, it's five. Actually, no. There's there's there was five before. Um, I'm at three different the, actor positions. Right, right. There's, there's five Spider-Mans before the two MCU movies. You know, we had Tobey Maguire. Then you had Andrew Garfield run as as you know, Amazing Spider. That was two two Amazing Spider-Man movies, and then and it re- got Holland. rebooted again. Yeah. So I mean, there's been seven. There's been seven Spider-Man movies, and there's going to be an eighth one. Well, I meant the three three total actors. Oh yeah, Spider-Man. yeah. Well, yeah. just Andrew. I mean, just well, generally. Andrew Garfield. Everybody just wants to forget because it was like oh, the yes. worst thing. And I was like, they changed up the storyline on it all. I definitely he was thought- the best. He was the best looking Spider-Man in his costume. I feel like I feel like he looked the most like Spider-Man. That's true. See, Tom Holland reminds me like when I see him in a in the costume, I'm looking at someone that's still a, a child. But when yeah. you see, first of all, Tobey Maguire though. That man was like 30, making you think he was 17 years Best old. That's Peter Parker. That's yeah. Peter Parker. Overall. And a lot of people give Spider-Man 3 shit too, but I'm like, they didn't play Venom right, obviously. The new Venom movie was pretty badass. They definitely changed it up. I love that concept. Spider-Man 3 is exactly what we were talking about, though, when it came to studio meddling, because that's where Sam Raimi is not a fan of Venom. Didn't like Venom. He wanted to make a Sandman movie. He wanted Sandman to be the villain. Uh, the studio execs are like, Venom is hot. You got to do Venom. Venom, Spider-Man. We need Venom in this. We need Venom in Spider-Man. Everyone, the fans want it. Do it. And he says, all right. And he, you could tell he had no love. He had no love for the Venom character, but he jammed him in there. And the result is the reason why everyone kind of shits on Spider-Man 3 because it's just, it, it, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't gel. There was no reason to have both villains in there. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like they shot more with Sandman anyway. Yeah. That was kind of the whole basis of the thing. You were seeing him leave the house. You were seeing him run from prison and then land yep. on that machine that turned him into that. And then how it all came back to Uncle Ben. I mean, that was that that was one of the best things. But then they just threw Eddie Brock in there. Like once I, they showed him before he was Venom, yeah. I was like, they better not do it to this guy from that 70s show. Yeah. It can't be Eddie Brock. The Eddie Go Bro- for Grace, man. He's got to – I got to be honest. He's done um... – He's really he's really transformed himself though from that. I mean, he, did you see Black Klansman? I did, but he's always I mean, going to be Eric. Foreman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every time I see him, I'm like, "Where's your dad telling you yeah. that he's going to, you know, my foot in your ass?" You know. Yeah, I mean? that's right. But that's right. see, I also think that was the same thing. Like when I see Captain America on screen, mm-hmm. it's different because I'm like, Chris Evans is Human Torch. You mm-hmm. know, I just got to the point now after seeing all the Marvel films where I'm like, all right. He's Captain America, even though I really want him to say flame on. But now he's not Captain America anymore, and they passed the shield down. And I'm like, right. see, it's, it starts where we go into comic books. The most interesting thing I think I found out about comic books is that when they go off into different tangents and there's, oh, Deadpool kills the whole Marvel universe, or this happens, or this mm-hmm. happens. And you start to realize that it's every artist's own interpretation and own design of the comic as well. It's like slipping into an alternate universe. So it's like, it's very hard for Marvel series and DC series to be able to do that into a movie. And I yeah, think it is, it is. Um, yeah. But you know what? There's 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 studio guide like there's there's company guidelines too. It, it is an artist interpretation, but I mean, you know, back in the '90s, like the late '90s. No, actually, I guess it's the early '90s. Like back when I was like a kid, um, the Chris Claremont had an idea. I want to kill Wolverine. 
and I want to bring him back as a, as an assassin for the hand. And Bob Harris is like, well, we can't do that because Wolverine's in five different books and we can't cancel his books and we can't make him a villain. So you can't do that. And Chris Claremont's like, well, fuck you. I'm going to leave then. And Chris Claremont was like the definitive X-Men author. Um, and so he left. Um, you know, so there's, there's, there's certain things you can do and there's certain things like you might never get to do. And now, I mean, Joe Quesada is the, is the, has yeah, been the editor-in-chief at Marvel for a long time, and he's been more open to different ideas. So it's not just the artistic vision, it's who's in charge and, and how lenient they are to allow um, you know, different interpretations. Do you think that there should just be one solid movie for that series, do you think? Like if it was going to be Wolverine, it means that it would all have to follow one storyline basis, not go off into all these different things. Because I think like when it came to Logan and then it came to all this other stuff and then you're seeing like prequels or something like that, like they're all trying to stay on the same page as each other. But like Wolverine Origins was one of my favorite, but they redid Deadpool in it. So that was a way yeah. better interpretation because they definitely did him wrong. But they showed <laughs> Wolverine Origins is a horrible movie. <laughs> well, that's it's just of, horrible. That's one of my favorite ones because it was the only one that showed him and his brother. Like, it, yeah, because his brother was badass that I thought should get his own movie just on the concept of like when they're going through the wars in the beginning, like sure. War of 1812. That was one of the best trailers and opening sequences in I, movie. I bought a cup off 7 Eleven for that shit. There you no, go. Just, there well, you go. When it came to so many things, like it seemed like towards the ending, they were running out of a budget and they were like, fuck, we're going to have to rush this real quick. And next, you know, like they didn't give Deadpool the whole, you know, Prisada that he should have, you know, when they had uh, Wade Wilson or whatever in the beginning, like with the sword slicing up bullets and, you know, they're breaking into this thing in Africa. Like that was amazing. They spent a lot of time with it. And mm -hmm. then towards the ending, it felt like they, they reached a cutoff point. We're like, we're already at two hours. Like maybe we should try and wrap <laughs> this up in like 10 minutes. Fantastic Four was like that too. Uh, the Josh Trank one where I actually enjoyed the first half of that movie. And then I feel like the second half they ran out of money and they also just didn't know how to end the movie. And, uh, and it became, really really bad that was the newest um, one right yeah they're gonna i mean look marvel's got it now thankfully um so fantastic four will get rebooted hopefully and done correctly hopefully um but i remember that movie and I'm, i remember watching the first half thinking like i don't understand why everyone didn't like this movie this seems pretty good this oh, oh oh okay all right yeah they don't know what they're doing now at this point yeah, uh, it's really funny how it things really can fall fast. apart like that I yeah. definitely think like with the thing, like the type, like I like the original Fantastic Four better than the newer one, but with the CGI and the stuff that technology is coming now, it made it a lot better redone. I mean, the thing actually looked like oh, the yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Before it was kind of hard seeing them. Horrible. Like, that first like, one was horrible too. Yeah, but see, the weird part about having CGI now and all these types of like amazing effects that we can add into films it cuts the story a little bit too because if you notice the original fantastic four in my opinion was better basically on the one-liners and shit they would say it seems like the character dialogue was a hell of a lot better now they're like we can rely more on graphics and types of money and explosions sure. to keep that out of there but you know they've always been able to do they that's always been a complaint i feel like even when cgi wasn't to the level it is now um and and again i i think it just it look it comes down to i mean look at look at the prequels too i mean people you know, myself included, I, I, we felt like George Lucas got crazy because all of a sudden he could do all this stuff that he wasn't able to do in the 70s when he when he made the original trilogy. Um, the ironic part, and this is for, coming from a creator, um, the more limitations you actually put on a creator, the more creative they get. Uh, I don't know if you're an X-Files fan at all. Um, Gillian Anderson, um, season two of X-Files, and, and, and Fox wanted her out. Fox didn't even want, her, didn't even want Chris Carter to cast 
Gillian Anderson as Scully um, to David Duchovny's Mulder. Um, season two, she got pregnant unexpectedly. And instead of, and, and Fox was like, oh, great, you can recast her now or you, could, or you can get her out. You know, and Chris Carter's like, no, no, no. What we're going to do is we're going to we're going to write this whole story that she um, gets abducted by aliens, and the pregnancy, you know, she'll have the pregnancy taken out, and they had these really amazing scenes. So it became all of a sudden, you know, what was perceived as maybe a limitation or an obstacle made them think harder. The, the what I think made the original Star Wars trilogy so great is that George Lucas is like, well, how the fuck do I do this? Like, how do I make a, a space speed battle? And and if you if you read any uh, you know behind the scenes stuff about Star Wars or do any documentary or or watch any documentaries, um, the original editor to the film, uh, he fired the editor because he's like, this is awful. Like, you know, all the stuff he shot looked horrible. And George Lucas actually went in and re-edited the entire first Star Wars. And, and it's amazing. And just you were talking about your film classes and, and, and you know, all the work that gets put in. Editing is, is an unseen art, too. He would do all the, you know, like this other editor would do these like widescreen shots. So they would show the original cut. Um, I think it was on one of the DVDs of like Luke in the speeder. And you could see the speeder wasn't working. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't like doing it because he had it shot. Like the editor cut, you know put it so far away George Lucas would then like cut it, the frame so it would be like right up close and um and all of a sudden you believe that he's in a speeder and it's moving and it's and it's going and and uh, I mean the whole Death Star sequence is a bunch of painted little miniatures and they ran this camera down there and and so so CGI can be an obstacle if people rely on it um and sometimes not being able to do something is going to make the human element, you know, come into play like so much more. So it, it's 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 a delicate balance. It really is. That's how they got through the original Godzilla movies. They were having just people dressed up in costumes That's and claymation, it, yeah. knocking buildings down. Now they got so much technology, they can just hype it up real good. Like there's Jurassic something Park. cool. I mean, there's something cool about that. Um, you know, uh, about about that kind of like. I like the type of CGI stuff when you look at like the new Godzilla movie or you look at Pacific Rim or any of yeah. these types of movies because it creates more of a, a newish idea to it to not really seem like they're revamping the original but creating it in a different concept. Mm -hmm. Deadpool was interesting because it used a lot of pop culture references, much like if you're watching Family Guy. But if yeah. you go back and try and watch the original Deadpool, it's not as funny as when you saw it the first time. Also with Deadpool 2, it's not as funny as you saw it the first time. You know, yeah. it's because a lot of the jokes now you already know. They're yeah. they were they were hit one liners for the time. You know, we talk about that. We talk about that on our podcast too. I always I always reference Wedding Crashers. Um, Wedding Crashers versus Anchorman. So this is back in my college days. Uh, Wedding Crashers, when I first saw it, I thought it was one of the most fun. It was one of the funniest movies I'd ever seen. Um, Anchorman, first time I saw it, I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Uh, Anchorman, though, I could rewatch over and over and over again. And all of a sudden, jokes that I didn't, I don't want to say I didn't get them, but I didn't get them the first time became funnier. The characters became funnier. Um, you know, uh, Paul Rudd's character, you know, 65% of the time, every time, you know, all of a sudden we're quoting lines from the movie. Our friends are quoting lines. We just, we love that film. Um, and, and I'll, I'll go back and watch Wedding Crashes when it's on TBS and it's like, well, I know what's coming, you know? And it's like, sometimes a movie or a story, you know, has the element of surprise that is going to get you involved in it like way earlier than, than a movie that, you know, that's going to grow on you. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny you mention that because it happens all the time. So anytime that happens, I always like I'm like, oh, that's a wedding crashers. That's a wedding crashers movie. 
Well, with Anchorman, the reason why you probably uh, ended up like seeing that the jokes lasted a little bit longer through the times and stuff is because of the way the jokes that they cracked. First of all, they yeah. cracked a bunch of stuff that was like racial tension, yeah. a bunch of sexual <laughs> tension, like things that we were on as a society, like that were just kind of became like new in like the 90s and stuff like that, like women getting rights and stuff. And um, but that's taught through us through history books. Like we're constantly as sure. kids being yeah. known about that information and part of our history. Wedding Crashers is like talking about stuff that was topical at the time. You know, now when you go back and look at it, it's like, oh shit. Well, I remember when that happened, but it's not going to be funny to a lot of other people. When a kid yeah. just you know decides to turn on Anchorman, it's like, oh yeah, because women didn't have rights back then. That's why he's acting like that, and that's yeah. why it's a joke. And that's what made the movie kind of like stand there. As yeah. a cult classic, I would say. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, it's true. I mean, there's no question about it. It's all cyclical too. I mean, it's amazing too because I remember watching that in the 2000s, and um, and and the bartender's like, "Women can do stuff now, man." And um, and I'm like, "Oh, we learned that lesson already. I, I learned that in the 90s when I grew up. But yeah, I get it." And then now it's you know it's back again. You know, people are relearning the lessons. Uh, so it's all cyclical, but it's a good point. Now, do you kind of see that, like, with comic books, like, where do you fall on? Do you fall on the side of Marvel? Do you fall on the side of DC? I was always a Marvel guy because Marvel is just – Marvel was, uh, you know, could be me. Uh, you know, Peter Parker was always and, – and I, and I think a lot of Spider-Man writers miss this now, and I think it's so important um, that they do this. It's not that he's Spider-Man. It's that he's Peter Parker, and, and people forget that. But Peter Parker was trying to have a normal life. You know, He's trying to get the girl. He's trying to keep the job. He's trying to pay rent, and Spider-Man always gets in the way. The responsibility always gets in the way. And, and, and anytime I read a Spider-Man where they focus on him being Spider-Man, I always, I'm like, no, you missed the boat, man. He's out there because he, he has a duty, and he feels like he's got to do it. But he's a 25-year-old guy or, or depending on, you know, whatever, you know, if it's Ultimate Spider-Man, he was a teenager or whatever. You know, he's a teenager trying to go to go to class and not miss class and he's not trying to mess, you know, miss the test and he's not trying to, you know, um, stand up Mary Jane for a date. You know, like he's, he's trying to do all these things, but his obligation gets in the way. Um, and that always resonated with me. You know, all the Marvel heroes were tended to be more down to earth, whereas all the, all the, all the DC characters uh, are godlike. I mean, they're all gods. Uh, even even Batman, who has no powers, his god is he's a, he's a god of money. He's he's uh, you know he's he's a billionaire. He's he's uh, Michael Bloomberg or something. You know what I mean? Like that's who he is. You know, he's a billionaire. He's not um, you know Aquaman is the god of the sea. Uh, Green Lantern is the god of space. Uh, Flash is the god of speed. Um, they're all they're all archetypes based on like Greek you know myths. Whereas you know, Marvel characters were like, what if I got superpowers? So what would you say your all-time favorite Marvel character would be? I'm guessing Spider-Man because that was one of your first comics. Yeah, I was always a Spider-Man guy. Although I got to be honest with you, you know what? I'm a fan of X-Men more than, more, well, yeah, more than Spider-Man, I guess. Um, X-Men was always the cool, it's funny too, because, and it's funny, you know, just, just talking with you too, um, just in terms of the age difference, and my co-host and I, my co-host is actually a little bit older than I am, but we're, we we kind of like came up in the same uh, time frame. And it it it, it dumbfounds people when I'm telling them uh, like Iron Man and Captain America were the lamest characters you possibly could. You know, it was it was a chore and a struggle for a creator to come in and do something cool with Captain America. It was a chore and a struggle to make Iron Man cool. Iron Man had this whole like storyline about him being alcoholic, and that was the coolest thing that ever happened. That was in the '70s. Um, in the nineties, you're like, I want to work on X-Men. 
I want to be, I want to write Wolverine. I want to, I want to see Gambit. I want to do like Gambit was always my favorite character um, in the X-Men. Um, and nowadays, because the movies have now flip-flopped. And that's again, a testament to Kevin Feige. Do you know that they had had Iron Man and they had all these characters licensed through different studios. The only one that stuck was Spider-Man and X-Men studios gave Kevin Feige the rights back for nothing. They didn't sell them the rights back. They didn't stipulate that we need to be a part of this. I think like Universal Studios was, was the owner of Iron Man. Um, they gave him back. They're like, well, the option deal's up and we're not going to renew because we don't think you can do anything with this. Like that was the state of Iron Man and Captain America, the Avengers. I so mean, you're saying that they thought that the, like the horse was tapped. It wasn't even, they didn't, they, in, in t- what, what Marvel was able to do in 2008 uh, was turn Iron Man and Captain America, and this is, I, I tell people all the time, they were C level characters, C level characters. I mean, I'm not even talking about B level characters. They were C level characters. They were characters that weren't popular in the comics. Like Captain America was getting canceled and relaunched constantly, Iron Man was getting canceled and relaunched constantly. The Avengers, um, you would have your second to third tier artist teams be hired to do the Avengers books and the Captain America books because they weren't the best selling. X-Men was the God. They were the gods of comics. They were the best selling books in comics in the nineties and in the two thousands. Um, you know, the X-Men movie Wolverine is, was the most popular character. He might still be the most popular character at Marvel, but, uh, or, or at least to the known to general public. But I would imagine if you stop like, you know, someone like you on the street and be like, what's your favorite Marvel character? You'd be like, Oh, I love Iron Man. I love Captain America. I love Spider-Man. I love, you know, Hulk. I love all the characters from the Marvel movies. Dude, I'm telling you 20 years ago, that's on it. it, it you, you would, you would have to literally, if you, if you stop me and ask me that question, I would pop you out with this one. I would say, what about static shock? Okay. That's, that's a, that's nobody a, would ever say static shock. I remember no, that TV they show. They definitely would not. <laughs> a nice bowl of fruity pebbles right in front of me. That was the first black superhero in my mind. That's right. Or justice. He was, he was. And that's the thing though, but I'm telling you, you would have to comb. You'd have to, you'd have to find like that nerd that just wanted to be different to be able to be like, Oh yeah, I'm not into X-Men. I'm into Captain America. You'd be like, what? Like no one's into Captain. Like they're actually, it's funny though. They're having Warner Brothers is having that problem with Superman right now. They don't, they don't know how to make a Superman movie because they don't, they don't know how they can make it relevant um, to today because he's he's like a white knight, uh, you know, a white god essentially, and they don't know what to do with him. Um, but that was the problem that you know Marvel had had for years in like the in like the late eighties and most of the nineties. They just didn't know what to do with Iron Man and Captain America, and the movie studios didn't know what to do with them. Uh, they did a Captain America movie. If you can find it on YouTube somewhere, go find it. This nineteen ninety three version of Captain America. It's awful. Um, they did this Fantastic Four movie. I think it literally was seen by fifty people. Um, and it was, it was terrible and people didn't know what to do with them. Um, and so again, it's a testament to what they were, what they are able to do. Not only did they build an entire studio, um, but they did it. People literally just companies, I'm talking corporations, billion dollar corporations just said, take Iron Man. We can't make money off this. Take Captain America. We can't make money off this. We're not going to renew. We're not renewing our options with you guys. Do you think what also made it popular was Robert Downey Jr.'s kind of position as playing Iron Man? Oh, yeah. 
brilliant I, casting. I definitely think that um what they kind of captured on with Iron Man that made him pretty popular was the fact like he is kind of like a Bruce Wayne, but more of like I am the superhero. I'm not yeah. gonna hide myself. And also when he's dealing with his money, he's also like dealing with a whole other host of problems such as partying, mm-hmm. such as, you know, just this type of stuff that kind of showed people a different light, but also tried to show the fun money side of things too. Yeah. Like that's what made Gambit, I think, pretty popular too, besides his powers, was this idea like he's basically stealing and stealing and stealing. Everyone's like, look at him, he's balling out of control, mm-hmm. you know? Nah, he was a cool Gambit was cool. And uh that's where Gambit's, Wolverine Gambit, origins did it wrong. They should have gave Gambit uh, more of a spotlight on they that. still need I mean, they uh, well, look, the good news is um is is Disney bought Fox and now all those characters will be done. On through the MCU funnel in the next five years, which is great. So hopefully we will get a true gambit. Um, we get a little, you know, we get a little nervous. We hear some of the casting rumors, though, um, in terms of updating the cast based on race. Um, that that that's a that's a big topic of conversation amongst the, the comic book community. Um, you know, but ultimately, look. Uh, at the end of the day, I look at I look at my own personal stance on it. Is I look at these movies like the Ultimate Universe. I don't know if you ever read any of the Ultimate comics. Um, they basically took Spider Man and redid him as it was like back in 2001 and they redid it as if it was taking place in 2001 as opposed to 1962 um they took the x-men character same thing they took the avengers character same thing and that's actually the basis for all the avengers movies uh that they ended up using was the ultimate universe versions um and i look at the movies like the ultimate universe so um you know people were like oh i can't believe they made mary jane you know now she's you know zendaya how can she play you know mary jane's supposed to be a redhead blah 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 uh, actors redheads in general in hollywood but that's a totally different story yeah. um but look how good it turned out and it's great you know it's a great it's a great rendition it's a great version so as long as as long as they they never seem to miss on the casting chris evans you even said it it was your human torch right yep. you, i rolled my eyes when i was like captain captain america really no but now they kind of forced it down your throat to the point no where but it's great captain dude america. like he's great he is captain america he's great i you know i, I remember watching the movie i'm like this guy's great I can't believe it. He's a, you know, that's nah, it. He's Johnny Blaze, man. <laughs> that. What about that's dark-haired Chris Evans? That dark-haired Chris Evans. Okay. Dark-haired Chris Evans is good. That's, that's, that's like a hundred pounds uh, lighter Chris Evans. Yeah. Oh yeah. Packed on all the muscle. Oh yeah. What about um Daredevil? A lot of people gave that movie shit, and I actually thought it was a pretty good kind of. Uh, it, ha- it had a little bit of steam to it. I definitely think it should have been more better done in production. What, what did you think of Watchmen? The movie Watchmen. Did you ever see Watchmen? Is that the that's not the, the okay all right so the Watchmen's with Doctor Manhattan right yes fuck man I I was when the movie came out I was probably fourteen years old okay I thought it was a superhero movie so I sat my whole family down to watch this movie okay no so it's a it's, order, yeah it's not it's not a movie you want to watch with your family not even in twenty minutes into the thing fucking. Uh, the girls having sex with this giant blue guy and my brother just looks over at me and my mom and dad are like oh my god cover your eyes like do the yeah. thing where you're trying yeah. to look through your fingers or whatever my brother's like good movie pick robbie i'm like i just saw a dude that was shooting people and i thought this is what it was <laughs> uh yeah no it is a psychological um so it's based off it's based off the graphic novel the graphic novel is in my opinion and in many people's opinions the greatest graphic novel so if you haven't read it and you're a fan of comics please go and read it it is amazing um, and it, it is a psychological take on, and it basically kind of, well, it's two things. One, it is the question about how we could ever truly achieve world peace. And, but, but it's also a character study into, you know, 
people you'd have to be really messed up to put a mask on and go out and fight crime there's nothing there's nothing there's no two ways about it the best part about that movie was the character development throughout that thing oh yeah in the beginning with like the smiling guy you know him the comedian how he's just Mm -hmm. lighting like vietnam just lighting fires and stuff and then later turning going against his own people showing an alcoholic dark side to him and sure a little bit of remorse at the ending. And then like yeah. Rorschach just being this badass detective. I didn't give a shit. Like he shoved a midget in a toilet. Yeah. Like that stuff was insane. Like that was yeah. a way dark side compared to DC and Marvel. That was. Oh just- yeah. Well it's, it was, it was as realistic and especially, and it came out in 1986, the graphic novel was as realistic as you're going to get uh, in terms of, it was it 84. I don't remember, but anyway, it was in the eighties. Um, the reason I bring it up to you though, is that the, the Watchmen movie um, and, and it's de- it's very debated. Zack Snyder uh, is the, is is the director of that movie. Um, I thought he did a really he really tried hard to be as faithful to the adaption as humanly possible. Um, but it's very difficult sometimes to take something in in comic book print form and translate it directly as a movie. Sometimes you have to take liberties, and sometimes you have to do different things. The Daredevil movie was based off the Kevin Smith run, um, and the Kevin Smith run is amazing. But the Kevin Smith run works because it's built off of 30 years of daredevil right there maybe even 40 years of daredevil at that point um so that there's a built-in backstory to things that when you when you read it you're like oh my god i can't believe he did that i can't believe this happened i can't believe you know um and the daredevil movie tried to do that but it's but it's also trying to set set up future movies and it's also trying to tell you introduce you to a character that you've never seen before the daredevil tv show did it much better because they they had you know 12 episodes to to learn uh you know who matt murnock is who karen page is and they took liberties they didn't they didn't pin it to one specific um you know storyline or story arc they were able to kind of expand it so um it just was a case of it was trying to it was trying to pull from really great source material really difficult to translate source material sometimes to film. Um, a lot of people kind of gave Colin Farrell shit for being bullseye, but I actually liked his bullseye a lot. And and I thought that was, he was the best. I actually think he was the best part of that movie. I, I think what you really kind of gave me here is a little bit more perspective on the fact that like a lot of these movies that seem like, you know, they get rushed or something is because they're not meant to be one movie. They're meant to be a few movies, you know, yeah. such as the green Lantern. That was a whole new insight on that movie that really kind of, you start to look at like, yeah, they should have did this in parts. Like I'll never forget oh, yeah. like, when they're doing the training sequence. I wanted to see him create more shit. Yeah. Yeah anything he did like yeah. a good five minute training session then was like all right i think i can handle earth's problems i'm like bullshit you're using a race car track to stop a helicopter from flying in, which i mean cool idea i guess but i would have created some i would have created so much better shit <laughs> like it also what made the Watchmen really, really powerful was the time period it was taking place and the type of realistic type things that it added into uh, like our actual history, such as Richard Nixon, such as oh, yeah. Manhattan Project, such as those types of things. But also another movie that does that pretty good, Guardians of the Galaxy. Not on the basis of historical events that have happened, but on the basis of the music that gets played bringing a more retro vibe i find like one of my favorite games fallout new vegas i don't know if you've ever played that or fallout um four in general just that whole fallout series it's supposed to be a post-apocalyptic wasteland hence all the photos behind me those are all from the game but um it's all 
post-apocalyptic type stuff, like after these bombs go off, all these people have to come out of these vault dwell sanctions. And the only music that you have to listen to on the radio is mm-hmm. Frank Sinatra, yeah. Big Spots, old type shit, where I was going to thrift stores buying these records. And my grandma mm-hmm. was like, how do you know these songs? Like, this is what your <laughs> grandfather used to listen to. I was like, it's, it's, it's from Fallout. And it, like, that's what Guardians of the Galaxy did. After I watched that movie, I was like, holy shit, like, what is this music I'm listening to? Next thing I know, I'm going down the street listening to, like, Come and Get Your Love and everything like this. And that's what made, I think, also with the casting and also the types of jokes that was played, too. But yeah, it also, having that start off in the beginning where he's going, hey, and then, you know, that whole thing, <laughs> and he's kicking rats everywhere, made it, like, immediately you were hooked in, and then you were actually sure. able to get into the film immediately. I actually think it's funny though. I read this article. Um, my wife sent it to me, and she said it was like, because we keep complaining like time keeps moving so fast, um, and and we and and we all we always think it's like social media and the phone, um, and it is, but it's also the fact that time has no meaning anymore. Um, and in this article, kind of went into detail, and I thought it was really really a, a good perspective when things happened, they happened very linear in a very linear fashion when, um, uh, you know, you'd watch TV. Uh, if something was to happen, if there was an event, you had to be in front of your TV at eight o'clock on a Thursday night or whatever it would come out. And if you missed the event, you know, maybe you had a VCR, maybe you recorded it, but for the most part, that was it. And then it moved on. You know, you talk about it. It was a big event. People would gather around. They would talk about it because there wasn't as much media and it wasn't as much, uh, you know, whatever. If a band came out in like the 80s or the 90s, um, and even the 2000s, maybe the early 2000s, um, it wasn't just a band, it was a movement. It was a movement of several bands and several of this. And then that movement would come, it would linger for a good, like grunge, I grew up on grunge. Uh, I hate that term, but whatever. I grew up on grunge. That was a four to five year span. Um, And then it would move to the side. It would become seen as passe or seen as old. Um, and now what you have is you have Apple music. You have every single, you have every single music that's ever existed. Like, uh, there's no need to create, you know, movements because at any given point you could listen to Frank Sinatra. Like you said, you could listen to uh, Pearl jam. You could listen to the Beatles. You could listen to, you know, Dr. Dre, you could listen to, you know, any, you know, Wu-Tang Clan. You could, you could, you can, you can, there is no, set movement there's no set music there's no set anything so um time has no relevance uh to, to what we're consuming these days and and so something in guardians of the galaxy like you said all that music is completely new to you and it's accessible and that's something you were saying you go to the thrift shop i'm like i'm like really you'd go to the thrift shop and buy the records like wouldn't you just stream it off wouldn't you just stream it off youtube Hell nah, man. I'm all about that vinyl. I got records That's good, though. up on my wall. Hey, man, dude, I go to thrift shop. Like, today I went thrift shopping, dude. I got this sweater for a dollar, man. That's like, great. There's, It's all about, like, I don't, I'm don't. i a big money saver type person, so I can mm-hmm. go and, like, buy shit I actually want to buy. Yep. And, um, you know, that's one thing I learned. Like, you start pulling stuff like that, you know, you see older people start to do, or start, like my grandparents going thrift shopping, or my parents going thrift shopping to get a couple things. Oh, not knocking out. thrift shopping, actually. I'm not oh, knocking yeah. thrift shopping at all. I'm just saying that in order to get the music, like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you just have gone to YouTube and just like played, like, oh, what, what, what were they, you know, it's like you have instantaneous access. I have instantaneous access to every single album. I've ever bought. I still buy albums. I still yeah. enjoy the the idea of owning something, and I do enjoy the idea of 
I like uh, the art on it. Yeah, I mean, I lo- I love that. I actually love still getting CDs or or you know, and vinyl records and things like that. I still love that that tactile got, experience to it. I got a Bill Cosby record hanging in my room that says "When I Was Young" or something, and I'm, I just look at him. He's got the young amazing comedian, and amazing I'm just, comedian. I'm just looking back at him like I wonder how not long person. All that was going on. Yeah, yeah, not he a good took, person. He took literally all the little rascal shit, like bought it all, so you can't like you can't play it anymore. That's funny. Isn't I didn't that know ridiculous? that actually. If you look anywhere, you can't find anything. Little Rascals. He bought the rights to it, and oh. he got every last copy of it and everything. I think if you got a certain amount of merch that was Little Rascals, that's it. It's not getting made anymore. There's none, none of that shit left. I'm like, damn, yeah. he did that with Fat Albert too. Yeah. No, that's fine. I, yeah, that's uh, keep I it out of that. the comic book world. No, you know. Well, I guess so. He was, I mean, have you heard, have you listened to any of his specials though? His specials are amazing. Like, dude, I love all that stuff. I look at him, I'm like, yeah, not a good guy, but your comedy's good. <laughs> I know, I know. Same. Dave Chappelle talks about that all the time. I, I love, I love his specials too. Cause I mean, it's, it's tough, man. How do you, you know, you separate the art from the artist, you know, it's tough. See, that's a comedian thing too. Like I, I'm, I'm a big comedy uh, fan for sure. But when it comes to his recent special, Dave Chappelle's, it comes down to the fact of attacking what he called hate culture. And I think that's what we were talking about earlier with movies too. It's like, is that going to work for this time period? Is that, you Mm -hmm. know, is this superhero going to be able to do it this way? Because you have to do pay attention to what's going on in the times as well. Like if you put out something that could be a certain offensive to something, yeah, it might make the story in the movie a little bit better, but some people are going to get offended by it. And I think, like where you see Comic-Con, like back in the day, not really even back in the day, like a few years ago, people were just getting offended thinking it was an anti-gay thing, you know, to start riots up in front of Comic-Con. And I'm like, it's someone's trying to express themselves in a way they feel like they want to express themselves. You know? Yeah, it's, it's well, I'll tell you, man, it's, it's, a, it's funny about today's society, though, too, is because, again, we, I, growing up as a teenager in the 90s, I, I lived all this stuff. We, just, we didn't have social media. That was the difference. But all the same... Um, you know, ideas are happening. Uh, the other thing too is that people, you know, I, I, every generation wants to kind of put their stamp on something. And um, in the 2000s, I mean, we were at war, um, and so so everyone's attention was really focused on war. And I'm not saying we need another war because we don't. Um, and, but that's what ended up happening in the 2000s. That's what kind of did away with the political correctness conversation in the 90s. Is that all of a sudden we had terrorism, and then we had a corrupt administration and then we had you know the the economic collapse and th- people had things that were you know more prescient in their time um as we've gotten better as as the economy got fixed and 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 people lives got more stable um the conversations now circled back to the same conversations we were having in the 90s um and and pc was a big thing back then and pc is a big thing now and um one of my favorite shows though is south park um i can't recommend people watching that enough people Oh, that's still on. Dude. It is still on, and it is still amazing. Trey Parker's a genius. Um, he has this whole scene in one. It was a three three years ago. He did this whole PC principle arc, and um, these these farmers were, you know, looking at PC principle, and they're like, Is "That PC? Yep. What happened the last time? Yep. How many years did that last? Eight. All right. And it's and and it's true. And and people's people are going to get tired of PC just as much as they were getting offended. So it's, it's, it's all cyclical. That's one of the shows that sl- still slides under the radar today. People talk oh, about yeah. it, but no, everyone's like, it's, it's old. So we can't really do anything about it. It's been on for too long. Yeah. I had a bad first impression of South Park. My first episode I've ever seen when I was a little kid was the, um, 
what's it the Saddam Hussein movie movie episode thing oh the movie was the movie's amazing dude that one fucked me up pretty bad i was like i don't want to watch this man this is too much yeah no the movie the movie was uh was awesome um they, they play they play some good concepts though but it is like we're saying like it is older so a lot of people aren't going to mess with it. the same thing with family guy now they do crack yeah. a lot of stuff that could be considered if it was a new show anti like you know culture and stuff there was a show that recently came out or actually it was like probably two years ago um or about a year after brickleberry with um daniel tasha's show that got canceled um but oh yeah okay there was one called uh what is it border town the one with the mexican um uh there was basically like this california type thing or whatever it was like right on the line of mexico so there was it was like this one town that was right with border control all the jokes were like slightly racist jokes but it was too new of a show to slide under the radar like that that it only lasted a couple seasons it was from some of the people that made 30 rock and brickleberry okay yeah yeah um brickleberry now turned into what it is now it's um whatever that uh it's still south, on southwest patrol is what it's on oh. uh, netflix now it's a bunch of cops they oh got, okay they oh, interesting a, i didn't know that but it's all different adaptations just based on where the culture's at now. It's there's, no, just, there's too much TV. It's there's called Paradise PD. Paradise PD okay. is what it's called on Netflix. I recommend it if you were a fan of Brickleberry. It's a okay. show. I'll, I'll check it out. But, um, yeah, man, I mean, we're seeing at least culture and everything change. And, I mean, it's been amazing talking to you, dude. I really appreciate you taking the time to, first of all, do the podcast, especially out yeah. of nowhere, dropping it like that, man. But um, I want to give you here a minute at the end to kind of promote your content. Sure, man. Um, yeah, you can check out all my comic book stuff at sirestudiosinc.com. Uh, got a whole bunch of different uh, titles. Um, book called The Mainstream, uh, which was just published through Zenoscope Comics. Uh, it's about an interdimensional police force policing alternate realities, keeping bad guys from other worlds from getting into ours. Uh, the Sire is S-I-R-E. That's our flagship superhero book, and that'll be returning uh, season two or volume three, however you want to do it, in next year in 2020. And uh, when I mentioned that before, right now, as we're recording, it actually ends Friday, December, I want to say December 6th is, is the right time. We have a Kickstarter um, on, um, uh, for my, it was my image book called Descendant. Uh, Descendant was about a uh, counter-terrorist agent who was the, secretly the descendant of an Incan goddess. She has these powers she can't control and she's kept hidden her entire life until someone from her past kind of outs her to her team and she has to go on the run. Um, we have a Kickstarter going on right now for the graphic novel. Uh, when I did the book at Image, it was a three-issue series. They didn't back then. The printing was 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 a whole lot different, um, and they wouldn't do a trade for just three issues. Um, so I got the rights back, and I'm doing the Kickstarter to get the trade out. So you can go to uh, sirestudiosinc.com/kickstarter, and it'll take you right to the Kickstarter that's going on uh, right now. Um, we have a podcast too, which is you know how we kind of connected. Uh, we talk comics, movies, TV, and pop culture every Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern. Go to uh, facebook.com slash secrets of the sire, S I R E, or go to youtube.com slash sire studios. Um, or you could just download us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, you know, any, any major podcasting app. Um, we bring the sports radio culture to pop culture, um, and we have some really amazing guests. We have some industry folks. We have, we just had uh, Brian Volkweiss, the creator of Toys That Made Us on Netflix. Uh, he was our guest uh, last week. Kevin Bacon, we got him on uh, a second time, which was pretty cool. Ooh, Kevin Bacon. Sorbo, Paul Reiser, um, folks from True Blood and Buffy, and you know, we 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 we've gotten, we've been really fortunate to have some really amazing guests. And uh, again, you can go to secretsofthesire.com for that. I love me some Roadhouse. 
<laughs> yeah. Ken Megan's the man. I got to tell you, he, it was, it was really a thrill. We got him, um, got him on camera too. So that was good. Bam. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. And stay tuned for another episode of out of the blank.